I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello and welcome to a pandemic super special mini episode of the Vulgar History Podcast. My name is Anne Foster and in these these little interstitial podcasts, I'm looking at some interesting pandemic related stories from history. I find it interesting um, sort of to put everything that we're experiencing now vis-a-vis COVID-19 into perspective by looking at other pandemics that have happened in the past and just kind of seeing what what that was like for people and how how life went on, how even in the middle of all these horrible, gruesome things happening, there is still um, people having their little scandalous lives and, and things happening. It didn't stop the world. Uh, today, this is a topic that I was asking on Instagram, where you can follow this little podcast on Instagram. Uh, it's Instagram Vulgar History Pod. Um, I've been getting some ideas for many episodes from there. And this is one that came up last time I asked, um, which is the sweating sickness. And the the sweating sickness in Anne Boleyn um, and my arch nemesis, Henry VIII. And I haven't gotten into this in the podcast before because I haven't talked about anyone around him really thus far in vulgar history but just basically i'm just over henry the eighth i there's so many biographies about him there's so many documentaries about him like lots of people have studied him and of course because he lived a long time did a bunch of stuff that was significant but i'm just like that's been done i've i've read about him to me the most interesting thing about henry the eighth is the women who are around him his um, mother, his grandmothers, his daughters, his various wives. He's sort of the um, the common element in a bunch of stories that I do find interesting. But the thing is, he turns up being the villain in most of those stories. But in today's story, and I'm going to pre- present this in 
an objective type way. He's actually the smartest one around. Um, he actually behaves in an okay manner that's sort of admirable, which is, you know, no one no one is all great or all horrible. And this this is a story about him being not the worst, which is very uncomfortable for me to be saying. But this is, uh, you know, on Instagram, this was a suggestion. It's a really interesting story, and I'm just going to be professional about it and forget about what Henry VIII would later do um, for the rest of his life and just focus on this sweating sickness type situation where he handled it all very well. So I'm going to put the sources for that I used to put this together in the show notes, but just so you know, I got some information from an article by Joel Shurkin from Discover Magazine, um, as well as from a blog post from On the Tudor Trail, which is a great blog that talks about this whole era. Uh, history.com history extra bbc history's extra which is a great um, website slash magazine slash podcast uh, there was an article written by tracy borman who's written a ton of really great nonfiction books about english british history so she wrote an, an article about henry the eighth and the sweating sickness for bbc history extra i'll put all those links up if you want to like read up on all of this stuff later but basically the first time I ever heard of the sweating sickness was when I was watching the Tudors, I feel like season one, and everyone just started talking about the sweating sickness. And even just the name of it, like the sweating sickness sounds so vague and just sort of dramatic and odd. So it, it stuck with me. And that was also a great episode of a show that had, that I enjoyed a lot of that show, mostly the Natalie Dormer parts. And this was a great Natalie Dormer episode where basically the story I'm going to tell you was the episode of the Tudors. Um... And let's get into it. So, sweating sickness, aka English sweating sickness, you know, in that way that um, diseases get named after the place where you find them. So, the English sweating sickness, aka the English sweat, um, the Latin name of it is Sudor Anglicus, which is Latin for English sweat, uh, was a mysterious and contagious disease that struck England and then later continental Europe in a series of epidemics beginning in 1485. The last outbreak occurred in 1551. So it was just kind of like 1485 to 1551. It was just a disease that everyone dreaded and knew about, and then it just stopped. So the disease apparently vanished. Uh, the, let's talk about the disease itself. The onset of symptoms was sudden, with death often occurring within hours. Uh, the cause remains unknown, but We'll get to some possible reasons of what caused it. So unlike most diseases, it uh, it didn't, um, you know, there's a lot of diseases, plague, etc., COVID-19, where people with pre-existing conditions are, can sometimes seem to be more susceptible. Uh, but with the sweating sickness, it seemed to attack the young, healthy, and rich. It was like the sexier you were, the more at risk you were, seemingly. Uh, so like other diseases, e.g. the plague. Um, really affected the poor people as well, just because of people, um, less hygienic conditions you're living in, more people smooshed up together, that sort of thing. But this is like rich, healthy people were getting it. And so that was very disturbing to the rich and healthy. So the symptoms are wild. The very first symptom is just a sense of apprehension where you just feel like, oh my God, I think I have the sweating sickness, I guess. Like your first, that's the first symptom is just a feeling of apprehension followed by, cold shivers, which might be very violent, um, giddiness, 
headache and severe pains in the neck, shoulders, and limbs, along with great exhaustion. So the cold shivers stage might last from half an hour to three hours, after which the hot and sweating stage began. So again, this is like you could catch it before dinner and be dead by the time you go to bed. It's super quick. Um, the characteristic sweat that it was named after broke out suddenly without any obvious cause. Um, when you get the sweat part, you also have a sense of heat, headache, delirium, a rapid pulse, and intense thirst. Uh, palpitation and pain in the heart also came along with this stage. There were no skin eruptions um, noted. And so the final stage is exhaustion, which is basically collapse. So just this irresistible urge to go to sleep. And this was fatal if the patient were permitted to give way to it. So it's like in movies and TV shows and stuff, you know, where people have a concussion. It's like you have to watch them to make sure they don't go to sleep. This is like if you have sweating sickness and you fall asleep, then you are going to die, I guess. Um, terrifyingly, one attack did not produce immunity. So some people suffered from it several times before eventually dying. So the mortality rate of the sweating sickness is estimated at about 50%. Um, so if you get it, 50% chance you're going to die. Um, but so the thing is, so it came on, you have apprehension followed by cold, followed by hot, followed by like, you really want to fall asleep, followed by death. But the thing seems to be that if you survive for 24 hours, you would probably not die. Uh, Thomas Cromwell, who is the main character of the Hilary Mantel books, uh, Mirror and the Light just came out, but also Wolf Hall, etc., um, he was Henry VIII's sort of fixer slash chief advisor, survived sweating sickness three times, only to be executed, but we're not talking about Henry VIII's less pleasant actions. Uh, nobody knew how to prevent sweating sickness. Nobody knew how to treat sweating sickness. So there was widespread panic, understandably, when it came around, because it's just this thing that may or may not kill you and uh, does terrible things to you. So that's the disease. Oh, and the cause of the disease remains unknown to this day because it disappeared in 1551. Uh, so the most mysterious aspect is the cause because, again, we don't know what it is. Um, commentators then and now say it could have been sewage-related issues. Like, London, like, when we talked about the um, the plague village and stuff, like, it was just so many people smushed up into a small area. So sewage might be related to it. Generally poor sanitation, uh, contaminated water supplies might have been the source of infection, but who knows? We don't know. Um, so the first confirmed outbreak, so it was even called the sweating sickness then. It was just like, oh my god, this guy has a sense of apprehension, followed by cold, followed by hot, followed by falling asleep. What a weird thing just happened to this one guy. So this was in August 1485, which if you know your history is at the end of the Wars of the Roses, aka the Cousins War, aka the wars that are in the White Queen and the White Princess. So that was the whole Lancasters, I'm going to be very careful to not say Game of Thrones names, Lancasters versus Yorks. And it ended with Henry VII, the first Tudor king, charging in and taking over, and that's Henry VIII's dad. Uh, but in order to win the Cousins War, Henry VII's um, brought he used uh, some French mercenary soldiers, and so it seems like the arrival of the French mercenary soldiers coincided with the first outbreak of sweating sickness. So it might have been something that like was in France, but maybe they had some natural immunity to it, uh, and then it took England by storm. So let's see. So the disease broke out on September. Sorry, I'm just looking at some dates. So Henry the Seventh arrived in London with his French infected troops on August 28th. And then less than a month later, September 19th, there was the outbreak. 
um, by the end of that October. So like two months later, several thousand people had died. And as a point of reference, so Henry Tudor, aka Henry VII's mom, is Margaret Beaufort, who's one of my biggest historical heroines. I love her a lot, and I'll do a podcast episode about her someday. But so she married several times, and her husband at this point was named Thomas Stanley, the first Earl of Derby. And he sort of famously, and this is like in the Shakespeare play and everything, he, um, there was this battle happening where it's like, who's going to win? And Thomas Stanley just kind of didn't choose his side and didn't fight seemingly because he wanted to make sure that whoever won, he was on their good side. Uh, and he claimed that it was the sweating sickness was the reason why he didn't join either side. Um, and you know, who's going to call him on that? Every, thousands of people are dying. It's like a good excuse. And maybe he really had it. Who knows? Uh, so because it didn't have a name, it, a name had to be given. And the name wasn't given by, I don't think, physicians or doctors. It just became known as the sweating sickness. This feels like a crowdsourced. It's just people started calling it that. And now that's just what it was called. So it is totally distinct from the Black Death, um, a.k.a. bubonic plague, or other epidemics previously known because the sweating was a new and unique symptom, and also how uh, rapid and fatal it was. Terrifying. So from 1492 until 1502, there was a nice period of time where nobody wrote anything about the sweating sickness, so hopefully it was just kind of gone. Everyone's like, well, that was a terrible thing that happened, and thank God, now we're not getting that disease anymore. I guess we'll have immunity. Hooray. But um, in 1502, that is when Henry VIII's older brother, Arthur, the Prince of Wales, died. And that set off a whole chain of events that we're not getting into today. But so 1502, Arthur, Prince of Wales, fell sick. Um, and so did his wife, a certain Catherine of Aragon. They both fell sick in 1502. Their illness was described as a malign vapor which proceeded from the air, which I'm not sure what that means. Catherine recovered, but Arthur did not. He died on April 2nd, 1502, six months short of his 16th birthday. And because he unexpectedly died so young without an heir, his younger brother, Prince Henry, became the new heir to the throne, and he later married Arthur's widow, Catherine of Aragon. So the sweating sickness, it just seemed to be like sort of like on off, on off, like happening over and over again. But the next epidemic of it was in 1528, which was its fourth outbreak. So it broke out in London at the end of May of that year and speedily spread over the whole of England, except for the far north. The mortality rate was very high in London, um, because that's where most of the cases were. Uh, Henry VIII, who was king by this point. So this is where some historians look at him and they're like, he was, you know, a hypochondriac. He was paranoid. But it's like, no, he had, like, his brother had died. His mother, like, people were constantly around him dying of, like, random diseases because it's like the 16th century. So I would say he behaved very reasonably. So he was known whenever a, an outbreak of anything happened, he would just like peace out, um, run off to be not around any people so that he wouldn't die. So when rumors of the sweating sickness reached him in the summer of 1528, he fled from court and just moved around from house to house, like not staying anywhere more than 24 hours because trying to outrun it, which, you know, germ theory not existing, he just kind of had good instincts here. So he slept in a different bed every night. He ordered the royal physicians to examine him thoroughly on a daily basis and kept a medicine cabinet filled with potions to cure any ailment. Um, any sign of illness at court, like anyone around him who got sick would send him into a panic, which again, 
understandably. Um, at this point, his mistress was Anne Boleyn. So he was still married to Catherine of Aragon, but Anne Boleyn was his mistress, and he was in the process of trying to get rid of Catherine of Aragon, etc. Um, so one of Anne Boleyn's ladies-in-waiting got the sweating sickness and died. So Henry freaked out a lot because he was really in love with Anne Boleyn and also afraid of death. So he ordered that Anne had to go into quarantine, like, out of town. So she went off to her family home of Hever Castle in Kent. Um, and this was actually a good move because you'd think, like, oh, you know, he sent her away. Like, that's not... Some things I read were sort of implying that he was, it's not very gallant of him to like send her away from him, but really he just wanted to, he wanted to protect him, he wanted to protect her, and he wanted to keep everybody safe, and it was a good thing, as it turns out, that he separated himself from her because she had been infected by the sweating sickness, and so had her father. So he remained in self-isolation, far away, and he dispatched one of his doctors, William Butts, to go check, give Anne a little checkup slash deliver a love letter um in the letter henry urged anne to be guided by dr butts's advice in the illness so that they might be together again soon which to the king would be greater comfort than all the precious jewels in the world so this is like sweet actually he he knows that his his um reign is at risk like he knows he can't die but he loves her so much like this is pretty sweet um so Dr. William Butts was Henry's second best physician. And it's not like, you know, the best is for him, the second best is for her. His be his best physician was busy somewhere else or something like that. Luckily for Butts, um, Anne Boleyn and her father both recovered from the swelling sickness. Um, and that Christmas, Dr. Butts was appointed royal physician and enjoyed a very healthy salary of 100 pounds per year. The king was so overjoyed by Anne's full recovery, he sent her letters and gifts, um... Within a month after, so she got better, but then there's still another month of quarantine to make sure she wasn't still contagious or that it wasn't going to flare up again. So one month later, she was back at court and the separation had no negative effect on their relationship. In fact, things were more passionate than ever. And that's the part that I remember from the episode of The Tudors was when Anne and Henry finally reunited. It was just so the chemistry between those two actors, Natalie Dormer and What's His Face. So good. Jonathan Reese Myers. Like, when they get back together, you're just like, he thought she was going to die. Like, it sort of redoubles Henry's intentions to try and get rid of his wife and marry Anne Boleyn. So, the whole thing about how this attracted, or the disease happened to um, a lot of young, rich people got it. So, many well-known individuals of the Tudor court contracted the illness. So, including Anne Boleyn, her brother, her father, um, Cardinal Wolsey who was one of King Henry's um, advisors. The sweating sickness also killed numerous nobles and courtiers, including, um, so Henry Brandon was Henry VIII's brother, well, best bro. They were really good friends. And then Henry Brandon married Henry VIII's sister, Mary. Um, but then two of Henry Brandon's sons both died. Um, Mary Boleyn, who is Anne Boleyn's sister, Mary Boleyn's first husband, William Carey, also died of the sweating sickness. So again, the last major outbreak of the disease occurred in England in 1551, and then it apparently vanished. And this whole thing is so dramatic and also random. And a story that I thought, well, I agree. Um, it was suggested to me, and I, I, I agree. This is a good one to share. So this was this, was this week's little mini episode of Vulgar History. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I hope everybody is keeping as well as possible under the circumstances if you have ideas for other pandemic pods um you can find me on instagram at vulgar history pod on twitter at 
vulgar history. And I'll talk to you all next time. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.